Each Sunday of Black History Month, we want to highlight some current leaders and past leaders that we are inspired by and look up to, as well as recommending some books and movies that we think would be helpful for you to engage with. Um, this week for the current leader, we want to highlight the work of Dr. Tony Evans. I think he's very well known, and so I'm sure you've probably heard of him. If you haven't, you should know about Dr. Evans. He's great. He's been named as one of the 12 most effective preachers in the English speaking world by Baylor University. How's that for an award? Um, this summer, I bought his uh, new Bible commentary, and I was shocked to find out that Dr. Evans is the first African-American to publish a study Bible and a commentary. Let that sink in. He's the first African-American to publish both a, a study Bible and a commentary. This one is about $26 on Amazon, and honestly, it's worth easily over $100. If you don't have a Bible commentary, which is a reference, if you ever read a verse and you're wondering, what does that mean? Um, this is, you know, these, these are what these books are for. If you don't have one and you would like one, I think this is definitely the very first one you should buy. His study Bible is great as well. Check out the work of Dr. Tony Evans and please support it. Sojourner Truth is an amazing leader from the past that is also worth celebrating. You have probably heard her name. It's a unique name. But do you know her story? I didn't until recently. A truth was born into slavery as Isabella Bell uh, Bomfrey in 1797 in Swartikill, New York. Though the abolition of slavery in New York State, where truth was enslaved, was announced in 1799, the rollout of emancipation was unfortunately slow. Most enslaved people had to finish out forced indentured servitude until their mid-20s. When Bomfrey's enslaver would not free her in 1826, which was 27 years after slavery was abolished, she escaped with her infant daughter and had to leave her other children behind. She later found that her son, who was five at the time, was illegally sold to another enslaver in Alabama. With her faith in Jesus, she managed to stand in front of a jury and plead for the custody of her son, and against all odds, she won. And this is one of the first court cases for a black woman to win against a white man. In 1843, she had a divine encounter with the Lord, which caused her to change her name from Isabella Bonfrey to Sojourner Truth. During that encounter, the Lord told Truth to move from, from Kingston, New York, to the countryside to share the gospel message of abolition. The Lord told her, basically, hey, I get it. You're black and a woman, but I need you to go and preach. And now some may have said, you know what, I think I'm good. But you know what Sojourner's response was? She said, I'm in. The Spirit calls me, and I must go. And she did. She went around the countryside to deliver the message God gave her to the masses. And though her preaching tours would often lead her to the country's most hostile regions, her sermons, her prayers, and her songs of worship to God would calm those who meant to do her harm. She loved those who actually meant um, to harm her. What's more is her sermons helped move many and brought freedom and healing from both physical and spiritual enslavement. May we have the faith 
and the tenacity, the wisdom, and the strength of our sister in Christ, Sojourner Truth. Uh, finally, uh, a book and movie I want to highly commend to you that I'm guessing maybe you've seen uh, is the movie and book Just Mercy by Brian Stevenson. Uh, Just Mercy is a best-selling book that in 2019 was adapted into a very successful feature film. I think it grossed over $50 million. Um, Shari and I saw it in the movie theater right before COVID. I think it was the last movie we saw in a theater. And it was a moving and life-changing movie for us. If you have not seen the movie, I'm not sure what you're waiting for. You must check out the movie and the book and become familiar with Brian Stevenson and his story and the important work that they've been doing. Well, we're going to... Uh, Jump to Jake right now, who's got a great message on the great physician and the woman, the woman of Samaria. Good morning, Gathering Midtown. My name is Jake Oshbacher. I'm the associate pastor here at Gathering Midtown. I have a joke for you. Jesus and his disciples walk into Samaria. Get it? That's it. That's the joke. Okay. It's not a not a good joke. Okay. But this does lead us into an interesting and holy interaction that Jesus had while traveling through the region of Samaria in Israel. Today, we're diving into one of my favorite stories of Jesus's face-to-face -face interactions, his time spent at the well with the woman from Samaria. First, though, we have to gain some historical and cultural background about this area and the world at the time. Jews in ancient Israel would have scoffed at the idea of traveling through Samaria. They would have questioned Jesus's morality and national loyalty at the idea of him knowingly traveling through this region, through Samaria. Jesus was essentially walking into enemy territory. Um, also, I'm sure there's no doubt that Jesus's disciples were questioning his decision to journey into Samaria, even if silently within their own hearts. This was a spot on the map that Jews avoided like the plague. Typically, a Jew would spend an extra two to three days traveling just to avoid having to pass through Samaria. This would mean having to cross the Jordan River twice and traveling through the desert of, the, of eastern Israel just to head north or south. They really didn't want anything to do with Samaria or Samaritans. In their eyes, Samaritans were unclean, unfit, and unwanted. The scripture in John 4, verse 4, says that Jesus had to pass through Samaria. However, Reverend Roger Fredrickson wrote that Jesus did not need to save the three days he could gain by passing through this ill-regarded province rather than crossing the river and going up the eastern desert route. The Father had sent him into the world, not just part of it. If we dig deeper into the Greek here, we see that the phrase had to pertains more to a call from God than some geographically forced travel route. The Greek would read something like, it would have been necessary for Jesus to pass through Samaria. Jewish folks of the day would have never found a reason for it to be necessary to travel through Samaria. But Jesus was after a harvest. Jesus was on a mission. So Jesus walked right in and asked for a cup of water. 
Jesus was always doing the thing that the society around him was scared of or that they feared. He was always touching the untouchables, changing the unchangeable, and healing the unhealable. Once they'd enter Samaria, Jesus' disciples head out to find food while Jesus goes off on his own. He heads up to a place that is religiously, historically, and culturally important to people living at that time, especially Jews. He heads over to Jacob's well. This was a place that represented God's faithfulness and grace. It was a place marker reminding God's people of who he was, how he loved them, and cared for them, and guided them. As Jesus sat at the well, waiting, he noticed the woman approaching. It was the middle of the day, a time when you would never expect to see anyone, much less a woman, drawing water from the well. Even if he wasn't God in the flesh, it would not have taken much for a male Jew to understand that this woman probably had some issues. She was alone, in the middle of the day, not welcomed at the well with other women. She had some things to be ashamed of and apparently wanted to avoid any chance of confrontation. I'm sure she was not happy to see Jesus sitting there welcoming her arrival. But the great physician wastes no time and begins engaging her immediately. Give me a drink, he says. No cordial greeting, no polite banner, not even a request for the water. Just give me a drink. Pretty harsh if you think about it. But she instantly returns fire. Verse 9 says, The Samaritan woman said to him, How is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? While reading, we can almost feel her astonishment and surprise at the request. She even seems a bit put out. Reading this story from the Gospel of John is so interesting for us. As the reader, we get to watch as Jesus masterfully and lovingly navigates the soul of this woman. Life had hardened this woman. G. Campbell Morgan refers to her life as one of dissipation. Now, I, I had to look this one up. It's defined as dissipation is. It's defined as something that is squandered, frittered away, or wasted. Morgan says that she has reached a place of total and complete disillusionment, which had rendered her flippant and callous. It seems that her whole life had resembled something like 2020. But why? Why was this woman so broken and so hard towards the world around her? Only Jesus knew. It's just like the great physician to know the inner workings of his patients. And this woman was no different. Jesus begins to slowly and patiently till the dry material of this woman's heart. And in the middle of a conversation that, on the surface, resembles two ships passing in the night, Jesus reveals to her the truth about the water that he is speaking about, the water of life. In verse 13, Jesus says to her, Everyone who drinks of this water from the well will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. As someone once said, it's better to have a tiny spring inside of you than a big bucket that you need to take somewhere to fill up over and over again. 
Jesus flips the script and begins to reveal himself to her slowly, moment by moment. Verse 15 says, Then the woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. She wants in. She wants her dry throat and mouth to be parched. She wants to never have to walk to the well again because she's tired of doing it in shame and in guilt. She wants to be free of these outward burdens that complicate her life. But then Jesus, in his most masterful way, calls down to the deepest, most painful, and driest parts of this woman's soul. In verse 16, Jesus said to her, Go, call your husband, and come here. Oof, really? Jesus, you, you want to go there? Now, one thing that we have to grasp here is that this woman was not viewed societally as a prostitute or as promiscuous. One of the key reasons for her callous demeanor was most likely that she had been discarded by men in relationship after relationship. Most likely, she's been married multiple times with sad, disappointing, and broken results that ended in divorce. Some even speculate that she may have been unable to bear children, which would have been significantly undesirable within that societal structure. It's also worth noting that in these ancient days, it was basically impossible for a woman to divorce their husband for any reason at all. Essentially, she was a helpless bystander to her own life. She was at the mercy of the selfish actions of those men whom she had married. And we know that she was also not married to the man that she was currently residing and living with. But how else can a wellspring of living water break forth unless there is deep digging? That's what Jesus is doing here. He's telling her that he isn't scared of her brokenness or worried about getting too close to her. He meets her right where she's at in her everyday, ordinary, broken, disillusioned, and callous life. Just then, this woman's bi-osmosis religious teachings flash across her mind. And she says in verse 25, I-, I know that the Messiah is coming. He is called the Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. Then Jesus breaks the news and he tells her, I who speak to you am he. This undoes her fully. She's been found out by the Messiah himself. But more than just found out, she is found out and still accepted by the Messiah, the Christ. She abandons her water jug and leaves out in a sprint to tell everyone about the good news. She goes to tell them about the man who told her all she ever did. What about you? Does anyone know all that you ever did? Does that question scare you to the core? That someone, that Jesus, would know everything that you've ever done or that you've ever experienced. I can tell you with all assurance that it doesn't scare Jesus, not in the least. He sees it, acknowledges it, and he comes ever closer in the midst of it. He already knows everything you've ever done, thought, said, wished, and experienced, and he still wants you. He longs for a loving and repentance-filled relationship with you, a repentance that leads to dry places in our hearts and souls being restored and replenished by living water. 
living water that only Jesus can offer. This week, as we think about this story of a woman's heart and experiences being exposed to Jesus, let us ask the Holy Spirit to reveal to us the places in our own hearts that need Jesus's touch, that need the great physician's hands to do their work. Now, this won't be and probably shouldn't be easy. This is a task that typically is painful and in some cases, maybe even traumatic. I want to pause here for a second and say that if anything that's been said today brings up painful or triggering or anxiety-inducing feelings, please reach out. Reach out to friends, family, counselors, church leadership, or your pastoral staff. We're here for you. It's said a lot around here that we desire to and feel called to love and to lead people to the feet of Jesus. That's exactly how we would love and care for you regarding these difficult things that come up in our hearts and souls. We all need Jesus to meet us in our hurts and our hangups so that we can heal, mend, learn, grow, and move on. But not just moving on to anything, moving on to the freedom that we find in Christ Jesus, our Savior King, who lives and reigns with God, our Father, and the Holy Spirit forever and ever. Let's pray. Lord, this morning we give you thanks, knowing that we can bring our brokenness and our experiences and our hurts and our hangups, and we can lay them at your feet, and that you will still want to be near us, and that you will sift through and dig through these things with us and wash them with your living water, creating within us a wellspring of life so that we in turn can go and offer that to others. We love you, Lord. Thank you for today. Amen.